Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right. Well, good morning. Faith Bible Church family, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Justin Gentry, and uh, I work on staff with a campus ministry here called Campus Outreach, and it's a privilege to, to be with you this morning um, to speak about global missions. Uh, we are in, currently in the middle of a Sunday school series entitled Beautiful Feet. This is based upon the passage in Romans 10, uh, where it talks about uh, the Lord's faithful, the saints, having beautiful feet of those who bring the good news to the nations. How can they call upon him whom they have never heard, and how can they hear unless they are sent, um, and so on and so forth. And Caleb has been doing a great job of laying a good foundation for this class and talking a little bit about God's heart for the world, God's heart for evangelism, and we've been learning a few practical tools uh, on how to do that last week. Um, some of the Lordship diagram and things like that. But this week, we're going to take a little bit of a step back instead of going more practical. We'll continue that next week, and I'll be back up here next week with Caleb to, to talk about another tool to add to your tool belt um, as you share the gospel with your friends, your family, your coworkers, and the world around you. Uh, but this morning, um, we are going to talk about global missions. Global missions, and I've subtitled it, Let the Nations Be Glad. Let the nations be glad. And we're going to be getting into that just in a moment. But I want to begin by talking about someone who you may have heard of in a history class uh, or Christian history or something of the like. And his name is Nicholas Copernicus. Has anyone ever heard of, of Copernicus? Yes, history teacher raising his hand, Mike. And it's all about him. And by all intents and purposes, uh, we know that Copernicus, who was a Polish astronomer, in the 16th century, uh, was a man of faith, and uh, while he also studied astronomy, he worked uh, in a Catholic church providing mercy ministry to the poor and things like that, and always sought to study astronomy, to look at the world that God had made out of worship, out of worship. And uh, if any of you all have heard of the Copernican Revolution, um, this is kind of what we see here on the, on the top right. This was uh, what Copernicus, for the first time in modern his astronomy, um, had postulated, had put forth that f instead of a geocentric or an earth-centered view of the universe, that instead it was a heliocentric or a sun-centered uh, view of the universe. And this, for the church and in modern astronomy, astounded people. It was something of a revolution that not only changed the way that we look at astronomy in the world, but for the church and for modern humanity, a way that they saw themselves. And so I wanted to start about talking about Copernicus this morning because I think that when it comes to world missions, uh, it is much the same way. When we start talking about that foundation, God's heart for the world, when we think about uh, what should be fueling, what should be uh, fueling our desire to go to the nations, it's not, in fact, man-centered. It's not, first and foremost, a love for the nations. It's not, first and foremost, a desire to see all the nations reached with God's uh, gospel, but it should be or foundationally God-centered and a desire and a love for his glory, 
And if we have that first Copernican-like revolution in our hearts to place God and His glory and worship at the center of world missions, then we too will be able um, to have a Copernican revolution and fulfill the task that God has given us to invite others into worship and behold the wonder of our great God. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to first talk about um, God's heart for the world and worship as the fuel of that. We're going to talk about something that impacts our hearts. We're going to mention something that then uh, gives us something to impact our heads. And then we're going to talk about some things for our hands um, to continue and to partner with God in this great vision of inviting others into worship of Him until He comes home. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in this morning. Father God, you are good. God, we love you and we thank you for Christ. God, you are awesome and you are amazing. You are our Father who has called us to yourself. God, we know that the chief end of man, our chief end, is to glorify you and to enjoy you for all eternity. God, and would that be the foundation? Would that be the fuel? Would that be our heart's desire to worship you first and foremost? And would that lead into loving and inviting others into the worship of you as well. God, I pray this morning, God, that you would speak to us through your word. God, would inspire a world of vision for us to see that you are a global God and we therefore should be global Christians. And that would compel us to share the gospel with our neighbors and the world around us and even leading us to go, to pray, to send, uh, and to give uh, so that this great commission, this grand partnership, this story of redemption uh, that you have called us to would be completed until you come home. God, we love you. We thank you for Christ. It's his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Um, A lot of what I'll be talking about this morning, uh, basically the thesis of of this morning, what we'll be talking about is based off a book by John Piper. Has any of, of you all heard the book, Let the Nations Be Glad? Some of us perhaps have read it. A great uh, book that helps frame, really, the foundation of world missions and is Piper's thesis, his view that worship exists or missions exist because worship does not. In his 2010 edition of the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, as I was talking about, he says this. He says, worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. Worship is the goal of missions because in missions we aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. It is the fuel of missions because we cannot commend what we do not cherish. We can't call out, let the nations be glad until we say, I rejoice in the Lord. For missions begins and ends in worship. Missions begins and ends in worship. Uh, And if you're like me, that's not where I normally start. Uh, when I was growing up and when I've, as I've grown up in the faith, I haven't been a Christian very long, very young man in my faith, and many of you have far surpassed me. I've been Christians longer than I have been alive. Um, but when I started thinking about world missions, what came to mind for me was something like the Great Commission. Right? We, we see this, this Grand Commission that Jesus makes after he's ascended and, and returned to heaven and commissioned his disciples and, and his authority to go Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all they have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. We, we commonly think that this is the foundation of missions, 
that we are to go, and we're to make disciples of, of all nations. And perhaps, maybe you think of a verse like this uh, at the end of the story, Revelation 7, 9 through 12, where uh, we know the end of the story, thankfully. This is the hope that we have, that one day we'll all be worshiping Christ together, people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And so we think about the nations and compassion for the lost. And maybe you think about this verse when you first think about world missions. A verse that comes to mind often for me, Matthew 9, 36 through 38, that says, when he saw the crowds, it says, Jesus, as Matthew depicts, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But the question is, if this is the view that we think about, if this is the way that we start with world missions, if it's a very man-centered view, then the thesis that Piper puts forth, or the, the argument that he makes, uh, is that this will not allow us, to, this will not sustain us uh, in the mission until Christ comes home. The only thing that will sustain us is God's glory, because that is the only thing grand enough, the only thing magisterial enough to keep us in awe of him and calling others into worship of him until he calls us home. And if we think about it, if we just go back to this verse again, uh, Revelation 7, if I'm on, I'm still on, there we go. Um, that's the context with which we find Revelation 7. For yes, we have the nations and we should be completing world missions because there's many people that are perishing, people that do not know Christ, and many of them who will never hear of the gospel uh, on their time, in their time on earth. But it should not be just the nations, for it should be worship, and that's what we see in verse 11 here. That this verse, Revelation 7, 9 through 12, is foundationally a passage of worship. And it says here in verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to God forever and ever. Amen. And when I think about this, I think about Disney. Um, for those of us who have been to Disney, how many of us have, have been there? How many of us are Disney fanatics? Disney worshipers in the room, uh, you know a Disney worshiper or fanatic before you, you meet them. And the reason is because uh, they have stickers uh, decals on their cars like that, or they have many shirts that they wear, uh, or when you do meet them, you know, they're wearing the jewelry and they have the bracelet with the Mickey charms and all those things. Um, and they just come back from the latest resort that's just open and riding the newest Pandora, you know, ride or the newest Star Wars Galaxy Edge, uh, Galaxy's Edge adventure, something like that. And they're talking about their experience and the food, uh, and they're talking uh, about the grand time that they had. Uh, but I find that it's much the same, same way in, in world missions. People love Disney. People are Disney worshipers, Disney fanatics, not solely uh, because of Disney World, not solely because of the food, not solely because of the amusement parks, not solely because it's located in Orlando and it's a lot warmer in the winter than it is here, um, but it's because they're captivated by the stories that Disney tells. They're captivated by the stories that Disney tells, and that's what leads them to worship. That's what leads them to want to experience and to enjoy and to tell others and to get others to join them in worshiping and experiencing Disney. And it's the same with world missions. 
uh, if God is not our foundation for war missions, if God is not the white-hot burning passion of our lives, then like Disney, uh, we won't love and tell others about him. If God and his glory, and we're not experiencing, if we're not worshiping him, if we're not enjoying his presence, experiencing his goodness and his grace and his mercy, then just like Disney, uh, we won't be telling, we won't be giving off the same aura of love, the same aura uh, of mercy and calling him to what he's called us to. And so I find that uh, often world missions uh, is like Disney and we must base our lives on the gospel. Um, but not only this, uh, when we think of, of world missions, uh, not only should worship of God be what fuels our desire to share the gospel, not only should world missions uh, be founded upon worship and, and God's call to us, his mission for us is to invite others into worship of him so we can gather around the throne together in glory. Uh, but when we think about world missions, uh, we think about the current state of world missions. So I, I not only want to just talk a little bit about the foundation of world missions, but I want to talk about the current state, give you a little temperature check uh, of where the church is at uh, in their goal of reaching the nations, inviting others into worship of Christ together. And in order to do that, uh, I want to just look um, at a few things. I want to look at four categories um, that will give us a little bit of a, a measure, a temperature check of how we're doing and how we are worshiping um, as we partner with God, as he uses us uh, in this grand story of redemption. And those four things are unreached people groups. And I think this is, this is on your outline here. Um, unreached people groups, Bible translation, giving, and then finally, missionaries. I want to look at that, those four areas, those four areas, and I've included some statistics for you on there. But I want to look at those four areas to see how we're doing and then give us just some suggestions of how we can grow in this as a church and as individuals um, until God calls us home. And so the first one here is unreached people groups. Um, this is, comes from the Joshua Project. Uh, some of you are familiar with the Joshua Project. Uh, perhaps some of you are familiar with Operation World and things of that nature. Uh, some grand resources that the church has, has put together to provide statistics um, on the current state of missions in the world. Um, but here we find from the Joshua Project that in the world there are 17,406 people groups in the world. Of them, there are 7,402 people groups who are reached. And so essentially what that means, as the Joshua Project defines it, a people group is a group of people within which the gospel can spread without encountering barriers of understanding and acceptance. And so I commonly thought of people groups just as a group of people that share the same language. But what it means here by barriers of understanding or acceptance, it's not just language, but it's also shared ethnic history and relationship. And so the, just because a people group share the same language doesn't mean that there aren't barriers within that same language because of shared history, because of shared experience and cultural um, aspects that allows for the gospel to be understood amongst the whole group. And so the Joshua Project divides it out into a group of people within which the gospel can spread without encountering barriers, not only of understanding, but of acceptance. 
And so far, 7,402 of those people groups are unreached. And the Joshua Project defines an unreached people group as an indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers of resources to evangelize this people without outside assistance. And so this group will have no access to the gospel unless someone comes in to tell them about it. That's an unreached people group. And out of the 17,406 groups in the world, 7,402 of them are still unreached. Uh, That totals for 3.27 billion people in the world out of the 7.84 billion, which is 41.8% of the world population, which will perish unless someone goes to tell them of the good news of the gospel. And the majority of those people, the 97%, as we see up here, are located in something called the 1040 window. Most of us have heard of the 1040 window, or if you haven't, this is what it is. Uh, It's a region of the world uh, that scholars have named the 1040 window, extending from West Africa, as we we see here, uh, to Asia, between 10 degrees latitude, that's the bottom line above the equator, and 40 degrees latitude north of the equator. And 97% of these 3.27 billion people, so roughly 3 billion people, live in this window of the world. And all of them, 97% of them, uh, have no access to the gospel. Still, unless someone goes. But not only um, when we're thinking about gauging the temperature of world missions and where we're at and inviting others uh, into worshiping our great God of glory together, do we think about people groups? But we think about Bible translation. Bible translation. If the call and the goal of world missions is worship, if it's getting others and inviting others to join us in the great experience of God's love, of his mercy, and his grace, then the principal way of doing that is getting the Bible, the grand love story of redemption about our great God, into the hands of those who do not have access. And so Bible translation is another great gauge of how the church is doing in reaching the world with the gospel. Just some current statistics on this. Uh, There are 6,909 languages in the world. Uh, Currently, 2,135 of those have no gospel resources whatsoever. So no Jesus movie, no Bible tracts, no portions of Scripture uh, to access to understand the good news of the gospel. Uh, Some 4,400 of those 6,909 languages are without Scripture portions available. That's 634 million people. Uh, And currently, 2,500 languages have not even began the work of translating the Bible into their language. And so when we think of Bible translation, uh, we think of 634 million people without even Scripture portions available, 2,500 of those languages without even access, without work even beginning uh, to translate the Bible into their language. So there's still a great need. Yes, Mike. Wycliffe Bible Institute, yes. Um, Commonly, uh, in the past, students that go down to the Orlando Project uh, attend Wycliffe. Uh, I've never attended myself, but students have attended in the past. Has anyone attended Wycliffe here? 
Yes, a few of our past students. Uh, and it's an amazing experience. If you're ever down in Orlando for Disney, uh, for Universal, as we talked about earlier, uh, stop in there. There's some amazing work going on. Uh, and as we talk about giving and supporting this work of world missions, that could be a very credible uh, organization uh, to put your funds into and invest into um, as we seek to glorify God in world missions. But not only do we think of unreached people groups, not only do we think of Bible translation as a measure of how we're doing, a thermometer of how we're doing uh, as a church in world missions of reaching the nations with the gospel, but we also can think about giving. Giving. If all of the missionaries in the world need to be sent out, if, if most of these people groups uh, in the 1040 window do not have access to the gospel and will never have access to the gospel unless someone goes, then someone must support them, must fund them to get there. So here's just some statistics on how the church is funding, is, is using, is stewarding their resources in line or not in line uh, with this vision of the Great Commission in mind. And so currently... It's estimated of the 2 billion Christians in the world, and this comes, so these statistics come from the Gordon Conwell uh, Center and Theological Institute for Missions. Uh, this is in Massachusetts. Uh, they estimate of the 2 billion Christians in the world, not all of them evangelical, but all those who self identify as Christians, they annually make $42 trillion. That's their income. And I don't know how many zeros are on the end of 42 to make it $42 trillion. Uh, I can't count that high. But that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And so $42 trillion is what the church makes, church members make annually. Out of that, $700 billion is given to Christian causes. So $700 billion of the $42 trillion is given to Christian causes, whether that be mercy ministry, whether that be missions, whether that be pastoral funding, things of that nature, Bible translation. But only $45 billion is specifically given to missions. And out of that, only $450 million is given to unreached people groups. So just a little perspective. 1% of all the money given to missions, of the $450 million given to missions, is going to 1040 window. Is going to places where the gospel is going to unreached people groups. Um, and so just for, just for perspective, and this is on your notes as well, for every $100,000 that Christians make, they give $1 to the unreached. Just $1 to the unreached. Staggering, saddening statistics uh, to think about when we consider the grand vision of people perishing and God calling the church to go there to share the gospel. But lastly here, we not only think of unreached people groups, we not only think of Bible translation or giving, but we want to think about missionaries. If there are this many people perishing without ever hearing the gospel, where are the missionaries? What, what are they doing? If we're, if we're supporting them, where are they going? And this is what we find. Out of all the missionaries in the world, there are 400,000, and that's including Catholic, that's including Protestant, all those who self-identify under the Christian umbrella of faith. Um, this institute identifies 400,000 Christians or Christian missionaries in the world. 
Of those, 400,000, 309,315, or 77.3% work in the REACH world. So places where greater than 2% of the population is evangelical. Places where the gospel has already gone. Places that have established churches. Places that have the Bible in their language. 77.3% work in the REACH world. Only 19.4%, or 77,610, work in the unevangelized world. So places where there are some gospel ministry, maybe where there is a Bible available in their translation, but still less than 2% of people in that group or that country identify as Christian. Only 19.4% of all the missionaries in the world that work there. And even less, only 3.3% of all the missionaries in the world work with unreached people groups today. Just 3.3%. That's a 30 to 1 ratio. Uh, Roughly 30 times as many missionaries go to unreached people groups to work with Christians as to unreached people groups. As we see here, just in conclusion, uh, for all these numbers, even though they're harrowing, even though they're, they're, stat, they're sad statistics on the, on the state of, of world missions today, um, what we can see is that 99.995% of missionaries work among just the 44.3% of the world population that has already reached. And 99.9% of resources invented or invested to work are to work in reached places. So what, I, what I'm saying is, and what we see from this data is, perhaps if God has called us, if God has called the church to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, inviting everyone to worship Christ, either A, we're not being as faithful to that, not necessarily as a church, but the church as large, at large, or B, we're allocating our resources not in line with this biblical vision that God has given us. And that's challenging for me. That's challenging for me. When, when I was looking at these statistics and, and preparing for, for this class in the Sunday school, um, it was challenging. I had to first look in the mirror and, and repent and say, God, I, where am I not following you? Where's the disconnect between worship for me on Sunday mornings and desiring that the, the nations, unreached people groups that are perishing without ever hearing the gospel? Why is that not impacting my heart? Um, and I think John Piper, and as we said earlier, perhaps it's a worship problem. Um, the worship and awe of the goodness of God hasn't gripped us enough yet uh, to sacrifice enough to go or to give or to allocate our resources or perhaps because of COVID or because of all the things going on in our world. We're so... Uh, interested or we're so trapped in our just chapter of the story where we are right now that we're forgetting where the story is going which is people from every tribe every tongue and every nation worshiping Christ so it's challenging for me it's challenging for me but as Piper says in his book as he kind of concludes the good news is that God cares much more about his glory and the nations knowing his name than we do. There's no one more passionate 
for his own glory, for the glory of God, than God himself. And the good news is that although perhaps right now it doesn't look like the church is, is being as faithful to this vision and as, as far as giving, not necessarily Faith Bible Church at all, we attend a great church where our elders and uh, our pastors uh, and our missionaries are some of these people that work in unreached places, the Bournes, which we'll, we'll talk about today. And uh, it's why we're having a Sunday school like this to, uh, to have a focus and a primacy upon world missions. So it's not necessarily as the case here, but the church at large. Um, but what can we do? If these are the statistics, if, if worship is the foundation, what can we do uh, to have our hearts and our finances and our resources more in line with what God has called us to in Scripture? just want to suggest a few things. What can we do? Four things. Four things. And then we'll, we'll close up. And those four things are these. Number one, we can go. Number one, we can go. And I know some of the hearts of, of those in this room have, have this desire, have this heart to want to go, to be one uh, of the 0.005% of all missionaries that go to the unreached people groups in the world. To, to say, you know what? I am sold out for the glory of God. I, I am so gripped by the glory and the, uh, the amazingness of God and the awesomeness of who our Father is and the gospel and the grand story of redemption that I'm willing to leave all behind and I'm going. Some of us have that heart in this room. Uh, and there's many great organizations that allow us to get access to, to those places. For some of you, if you have that heart, maybe God is stirring you in you right now, that heart to want to go. Maybe some resource, resources from you and um, to look into is ELIC. Uh, some of us know this organization which strives to teach English in some of the hardest to reach places in the world in order to share the gospel. So maybe ELIC is for you. Uh, the IMDB, which is uh, the International Mission Board, the Southern Baptist Branch Missions Society, they're a great place to look into, great place to go, to think about um, going to the nation. Some of us have heard of Frontier Missions, which is an organization in Orlando. Maybe this, for you, if God is stirring in your heart a desire to go, maybe it's, it's time to, to look in, into their organization. Or perhaps Wycliffe Bible Translators, as Mike was saying, 2,500 languages that still have not began to be translated. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. You're, you're, you're called to go. You're called to go to the nations or you're called to translate the Bible into one of these languages that has yet to receive the good news. But not all of us have been called to go. Not all of us have that burning desire. If, if all of us went, then there will be no church to send. There will be no church to support. Uh, so some of us are called to send. Uh, and if you have your Bibles uh, with you, I just want to share a quick passage in 3 John, uh, verses 1 through 8 here. I only have 5 through 8 on the screen, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 to give us a little perspective of what sending truly means. What sending truly means. This is John speaking. and says, The elder, the elder John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love, in truth. And beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be good, that you may be in good health, 
as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And what is this joy? What, what is this walking in the, in the truth that he's, this, this old man, uh, John, is so glad after hearing a report of Gaius doing? This is what, what it is. This is what he is glad and happy about. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so what John is saying here is the reason that he's so excited, he's so thankful, he's so grateful for Gaius of why he's rejoicing in the truth of what he's doing is because he is sending and receiving missionaries in a way, as it says here, that is worthy of God. And the question that I have to ask, and I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we supporting ministry, uh, missionaries? Are we sending missionaries in a way that is worthy of God? I know for me, uh, as a missionary uh, on, on, on stateside, uh, just at USI, I love it uh, when I have supporters, people that partner with me in, in, in ministry that feel not just like financial donors, but as true partners. People that are, are praying for me, people that send emails back to my updates that I don't know if anyone is ever reading. Um, people that text me periodically and, and are asking, Justin, how can we pray for you? Are, are there any special needs that you have that we can support? People that are holding the rope with me that are standing arm in arm in this effort of sharing the gospel. And so are you sending, am, am I sending, are, are we sending missionaries in a way that glorifies God? Maybe what that looks like for you is, is going to the elders here and saying, we have many great missionaries that are throughout all the world, some of them stateside even, and maybe God is stirring in you a desire to, to partner with them in a special way. And I'm sure if you ask some of the elders uh, how you could do that, there would be a litany of ways uh, that you could fund special product, pro, um, projects uh, or prayer requests to add to your list. Uh, but not only should we be sending and going, but we can be praying. But we can be praying. Uh, in Matthew 9, 36-38, as we were talking about, as Jesus looks out upon the crowds and he has compassion for them, what does he say? What does he say? He says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And so we can pray, be praying. We can be searching our hearts saying, God, help me to align my heart around worship for you. Help me to, to make this vision of world mission as important to me as it is for you. And help me model this in my family. And so we can be praying, perhaps uh, before bedtime, or after dinner with children. Perhaps we can print out uh, pictures of missionaries that Faith Bible supports or you, you support and put them on the fridge. Uh, perhaps uh, you can pray with, with your children before bedtime or after dinner with this. Um, but just something to get the face of missionaries, the face of world missions on your mind and the focus um, of your family and your hearts uh, so that we can continually be reminding ourselves of the goodness and the grace that God has called us to. Yes, Mike? Sorry, just keep your 
Yeah. That was great. Anything else? I know many of us support missionaries here and um, have many great ways uh, to keep this at the, at the forefront of our minds. Anything else? Any other ways that you keep that uh, central uh, to your family and the life of your family? Any other ideas? Popsicle sticks is a great one. That's a new one for me. <laughs> yes. If we want to really drive the point home, then, then tongue depressors will work. Um, Matt Casey, who some of you all know, um, is the director of campus outreach in, in Indiana. Um, I, I frequently hear him talk with his children. He says, when we talk about heroes in our house, uh, he refers to the missionaries that they support. So instead of uh, the rescue hero or the, the latest Marvel you know, Avenger or something like that, he says, the heroes, those that we want to hold in high regard, are those that go to the nations. But not only those who go to the nations, those that, that stay at home and support those as well. Yes? Certainly, I know that's certainly true on the, on the USI campus. Uh, and I didn't have time to kind of get through to this, but if you read Let the Nations Be Glad by Piper, uh, what you're pointing out is, is a great point because Piper says some of the most zealous missionaries, some of the people, the, the vast majority of missionaries that go and are sent overseas are college students. And so not, not only should we be reaching out to those college students that come to us from other countries, uh, but it's a significant thing to, to instill this world vision into college students early so that they can then go to the world. And some of them come to Christ from other nations and take it back uh, to their home country where places that we normally, Westerners or yeah, even others in other countries, would not have access to. That's great. That's great. Then lastly here, we can give. We can give. Um, if you're like me, and I know many of you probably do a much better job of this than me, but uh, when I was looking at the statistics and, and thinking about only one out of every $100,000 that, that the church earns in the world is given to unreached people groups, um, that's probably going to cause me to do a financial analysis, <laughs> uh, a financial reevaluation of, of how I'm spending uh, the funds and stewarding the resources that God has given me. For it's all his. It's all his. And if, if that's where we are going, if that's where all redemptive history is, is pointing to, all of creation, people from every tribe, tongue, and nations, 
uh, gathering around the throne to worship God, then, then I should be investing uh, in that as well. And so maybe it's time for a, a financial analysis for you. I, I was uh, thinking recently about Facebook mar- Marketplace. I don't know how many of you sell on Facebook Marketplace or eBay or things like that during the pandemic and COVID. It seems like everyone has their, their own Facebook Marketplace store, their eBay storefront running it straight from their, their bedroom or their home office. Um, and I tried to do that and, and we're selling, you know, some things we're about to move. And uh, as I'm listing things on Facebook Marketplace, I think about, you know, what is this worth? Uh, you know, I'm putting prices up at $150, $200, but then, uh, you know, things that I put on Facebook Marketplace only sell for maybe 20 or 30, 40 or 50. But it's, but it's the principle of this. What is something worth? Something is only worth what someone will pay for. And so if the glory of God is worth what it should be, and as we see in our hearts, then we as believers will be giving and we'll paying and supporting people uh, to go. If it's truly gripped us, if worship of Christ, of people from all the nations, is truly what all of redemptive history is going towards, is something that we should value, uh, then we will sacrifice dearly for that to happen. And, and I have to look in the mirror at myself first um, to see if my giving and my finances are aligned in that way. Um, and so world missions. Um, God has, has called us, and as we see in his, wor- in his word, to, to found world missions, not on compassion for the lost, not as some missionary strategy to go to all the nations to make ourselves feel good because um, we're helping others, these people that will perish without the gospel, but, but it's primarily about his glory and inviting others to know the God that we know, to experience the type of joy and love and worship that God deserves and that we know as well. Um, and then it seems like currently, after just looking very briefly at some of the statistics, uh, it's hard to say that the church at large is, is aligned with that. And so I think the call for us as Faith Bible Church, and some of these things are already, already being placed in motion by our elders, and very thankful for that, and having this class is, is evidence of that. But our job is, is to go, our job is to pray, our job is to send. And our job is to give and to partner with God in this. And I'll close with this. Uh, this is, comes from Revelation 15, 3 through 4. And the context of this is um, when, right before glory begins in the new heavens and the new earth, the old earth pass away and the new one comes into existence and we're all around the throne um, worshiping Christ, this is, is what we'll say. Revelation 15, 3 through 4 says this, and, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for, you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so we long for the day when we, surrounded by people from every tribe, from every tongue, and every nation, will together join in that song. And I pray that today, for you and for me, and for some of us, and most of us probably, who have already had this Copernican revolution in our our hearts, uh, to join God in his mission of 
of worldwide worship of him will be the day that we continue to ask God to work and to move in the nations until he comes home. So let me pray. Um, and then we have about five minutes for, for questions or comments or, or things like that until we get ready for service. Father God, we praise you. We realize that you are the only one worthy to be praised. God, I confess wholeheartedly that I exchange the glory, your glory, God, for the glory of man, just like Romans 1 tells us. And, and that is the reason most often in my heart for forgetting, um, God, that you are after the worship of all the nations. God, we see in your word and in Revelation that one day all redemptive history, all of history in general will end with everyone bowing the knee, with not only all peoples, but all creation worshiping you for your splendor, for your glory, for your majesty. God, we long for that day. God, we realize that you use us, that you don't need us, but you use us and have chosen to use us. God, to accomplish that grand mission of the Great Commission until you call us home. God, I pray that, that today what you've, you've said to us and what your word has made clear, that God, that you would help us to align our hearts more closely uh, with the vision of reaching the nations that we see in your word. God, help us to give, help some of us to go, help all of us to send and to pray uh, for your glory to be reached among the nations, God. And would that lead to many more people coming into love and worship of you until we call us home. God, we love you. We thank you for this time, for your word. In Christ's name.